And welcome back, everybody, to the Things Christians Want to Know podcast. I am Nate Johnstone. This guy here is Paul Anderson. Hi, I'm waving at Nate, who's about six feet away from me. It's a good wave. Yeah. And you said things Christians want to know. If you Mm -hmm. spell that out, you don't have the want to know. So I'm too lazy for full words. (laughs) Want to know is fine. I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm easy going. I, we can accept either one. Want to know or want to know. One of the things we want to know about is Jesus. That's a very Sunday school <laughs> answer, right? The, as we sit here recording, we are in the season of Lent. Doesn't matter when you're listening, but uh, that's the season we happen to be in. And Lent is the season that leads up to the passion of Jesus, the death, crucifixion, resurrection on Easter Sunday. And let me know what you think about this idea, Paul, but My belief is that everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus, that the whole point of the Old Testament, in fact, was Jesus, and that everything after, so basically everything in the Old Testament points to the Gospels, and everything after the Gospels points back to the Gospel. One is preparing the way, and the other one is explaining what just happened. Yes. Do you agree? I'm with you. And so if Jesus is the whole point of Scripture, which I believe he is, then that's probably the most important thing for us to understand and study is who was Jesus? Why was he here? What did he do? What does that mean for me? And I think of that Jesus story, the most important thing that happens is the passion, the death, Mm -hmm. crucifixion, and then resurrection of Jesus, that weak period of time. So everything in scripture points either forward or back to Jesus and everything that happens in the gospels points either forward or back to this one week that takes place. He is God's word. He He is is the word made flesh. And so if we want to learn about God, understand God, hear God, you might say, we have to look to Jesus. Yes. And everything that happens in Jesus' life, everything that happens in the gospels is important, of course, but the the crux of it, the word crux means cross, by the way, Mm -hmm. the crux of the matter is this story, the cross. What happens in that three-day even period of Mm -hmm. the immediate passion and resurrection of Jesus. And so to me, this is the most important thing that happened in human history Mm -hmm. ever, followed by, I would say, the incarnation would be right before that, because the incarnation is the main prophetic thing that happens prior to the crucifixion. Um, And Maybe we could do a whole series on the connections between um, the incarnation of Jesus during the Christmas story and the crucifixion, because there's a ton of them. There's a ton of direct, direct parallels, foreshadowing, if you want to call it that. Um, and so we're going to talk about this for a few weeks now, about the cross. And that's why the church historically has done that actually every year. Mm-hmm. That's what Lent is about. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about what it meant, what it means for us today, how we should respond to it. Um, are we just supposed to walk around with our eyes cast down, feeling sad about the fact that Jesus died and it was because of our sin? Do we do that all the time? Or, or what should our reaction be to these things? And so we're going to talk about these issues. We're going to look at a lot of scripture. Before we jump into some scriptures, Paul, what? I'm just curious. When you are reading about the passion the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection. Do you have a favorite gospel or one that you tend to go to for the story? I do not. You do not. I love to compare and contrast, to look at each one and say, what did they include? What did they not include? Mm -hmm. I like to figure out those things. How are they different? How are they alike? Yeah, I I think I'm the same way. And I especially like doing that with 
the crucifixion, because obviously that's a major feature of all four Gospels. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is interesting what the Holy Spirit inspired those authors to put in to each one, because they all are a little different. It's the same story, um, but they're emphasizing different things. And some of those you could guess ahead of time. You know, Matthew's going to be concerned about prophecy being fulfilled. And I really like John's account. And when we, when I read John, I, I am going under the prevailing assumption among scholars these days that John was the last one written of the four Gospels. And so I think he probably had access to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And his gospel is primarily focused on things that are not in those. And that's certainly what we have. (laughs) We have mostly a collection of stories and teachings that are not in the synoptic gospels, as they call Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so I like John's crucifixion narrative. And we ha- it has some stuff in there that the others don't, mm-hmm. um, which is really neat. But so I guess I would say maybe I tend to go towards the John one a little more, but I do really like to compare and contrast, like you say. For example, if you look at the last thing Jesus says on the cross, it's different in each one. Each one, n- none of them are necessarily saying this is the absolute final thing he said, but the last thing that each of them records is actually a different thing, which is really significant, especially in Ancient Near East culture, the last thing you say before you die is a big deal. Um, in many cultures in that day, the last thing you say is your will, considered a will and testament. And so I think that's interesting. And it, I love that we have four gospels mm-hmm. and not just one, because they really are different perspective, different points of view. And that's helpful because we're all different. And there have been times in my life where I really gravitated towards Luke. And there's other times where I've gravitated more towards John. And it, I, I think that's great. Yeah, I'm with you. So... Why don't you run through some scriptures about this topic that you think are significant? Some of these we'll spend some more time on. I have some here. They're mainly from Paul. Mm -hmm. So this is Paul now pointing back to the cross Mm -hmm. to explain it, which I think is what the rest of the New Testament is basically about. Mm Mm-hmm. What just happened? Because if there's one thing that all the Gospels agree on, it's that most of the disciples didn't get what was happening when it happened. Yes. And even by the time the resurrection came around, most of them didn't understand what was happening. And it could be even when he left, most of them didn't understand what was happening. Oh, they were gazing into heaven. Yeah. And an angel had to come down and tell him, why (laughs) are you standing gazing into heaven? They're stunned. He said he'd come back. Well, yeah, but not now. Yeah. Yeah. So I think when the spirit came, they got it. Because mm-hmm. that's when they went out to the streets and they never that's wished when... him back. They never said, oh, I wish Jesus were here. They knew where he was and they were glad he was where he was. I agree. I think Pentecost was a game changer. Yeah. We should do a series on Pentecost. Let's do it. Because of that. I think it's a, you see a marked change in their action. Yep. Here goes with some scriptures, uh, starting with 1 Corinthians. For Christ did not send me to baptize. I would like to read this to the ELCA Mm. Lutheran pastors who have so put baptism on a pedestal above the cross that baptism is their theology. I know know a couple of people who do that, I think. Yeah. Did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. First Corinthians 1, 17 hmm. and 18. And then from 1 Corinthians 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was going through a life-changing encounter. Something happened 
between Ro- uh, not Rome, Athens and Corinth that shook him up. Mm-hmm. And he said, "I and when I came to you, I came in fear and trembling, and my message was not. Uh, I can't remember what not it was it, with eloquent words. Ep- yes, and that's." That's, I think, the lesson he learned in Athens. This is a little bit of an aside, folks, but so in Athens, it's a really cool story. He goes up on the hill. Mars. And and he gives a really neat sermon um, about the unknown God because they had a, you know, the Greeks wanted to make sure they had all their bases covered. So they've got gods everywhere, right? And they would, and the Romans, when they found the Greeks, they said, oh, we're going to do the same thing. They took all the Greek gods, renamed them. And then as the Romans conquered throughout the world, they would take the God of those places and be like, oh, we better honor these gods. So we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of gods. And in fact, they even had one to, yeah, the one we don't know about yet, <laughs> just in case we don't want to make him mad either. And so they had the, the unknown God. And Paul had read enough Roman philosophy to know about that, which I think is interesting. So he studied the cultures that he went to. And so he said, hey, let me tell you about an unknown God. Yes. And, and he did that. And they said, oh, we'll hear you again on this tomorrow. So nobody responded, repented. Nobody asked to be baptized. They just said, oh, we found this interesting. We'll hear you again tomorrow. And some people would say, well, that's pretty positive, actually. They're going to listen to us again tomorrow. But in that culture, I think what, it, what they were saying is, oh, I am interested in philosophizing and debating yes. over this, but I'm not, I'm not responding spiritually to what you're saying. I'm only responding intellectually to what you're saying. And I'd like to discuss this again tomorrow. Bring some more wine and we'll meet up. That's my take on it. I could be wrong. Because you read, oh, we'll hear you again on this. And you might think that's great. But the next second, Paul's escaping the city. He's running. And then the next place he shows up, he has a very different attitude. And he says, I know nothing except Christ and Christ crucified. And that's all I'm going to know. And that's all I'm going to talk about. So something humbled him about the Athens experience. uh, And I really wish he would have talked about it more Mm -hmm. because I want to know what 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 exactly happened and how he wrestled with those issues. Um, it sounds like he might have had a dark night of the soul, maybe kind of experience because he comes out so humble and selfless. Yeah. I wish there was another letter <laughs> where he explains that whole situation. I like the way you've explained that. I, I like, uh, like how you set the context for that because that's, that's believable. I had not heard that before, but I like that. Here is 2 Corinthians 13. He was crucified in weakness, mm-hmm. but he lives by the power of God. God's most powerful moment was Christ at his weakest moment. Mm-hmm. He was never weaker than when he hung from the cross. Totally. He was pinned. He, there, he was, there was yep. nothing he could do. But Naked, stre- yes. having to stretch just to get a breath. And m- many of you have heard enough sermons and teachings on the actual physical act of crucifixion that you know a lot of this stuff. But it doesn't get worse. It doesn't get more vulnerable. It doesn't get weaker. Humiliating. Beyond humiliating. Yes. Just horrible. And yet, that is Christus Victor. That is the moment where God wins. So much so that Paul says that he devastated the powers of darkness, triumphing Mm -hmm. over them in the cross. Mm -hmm. He made a public spectacle. Yes. Is what he says. When you look at the story from natural eyes... It looks like the devil's making a public spectacle of Jesus. And he thought he was. I think he did. Oh, yeah. I, I, I buy into that. I think it was uh, Thomas Aquinas. Could have been somebody before him, but that idea that God duped the devil. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some of that there. Because looking at it from the natural, I think everybody would look at that. Read, we read it today. The devil seems to be winning. This Messiah is being killed. 
He's not a great messiah mm-hmm. <laughs> if he's being murdered by his enemies. And it looks like he's the one being made a spectacle of. Yep. And it is humiliating. We're not saying it's not. It was certainly humiliating and all that stuff. But when Paul looks back on it, he says, God made a public spectacle of them, the principalities and powers, the rulers of that age, even Lucifer himself. God used the cross to make a spectacle of them. Mm-hmm. Just so you know where that is, that's in thank you. Colossians 2. Paul's much better at finding <laughs> the addresses than I am. 14 and 15, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Here we go. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. He embarrassed them publicly Mm -hmm. by triumphing over them in him. A glorious victory, and it looked like absolute defeat. So God, God is the author of life. He's the author of everything. Jesus, Jesus created the world. Nothing has been created that wasn't created through Christ says that in John chapter one. And so God is the ultimate author, which means God has the ultimate say in how any story goes. And the story of the cross looks like a loss from the outside. All the disciples thought it was a loss. The women thought it was. It was dark. The the creation thought it was a loss. It it darkened the sun. Ghosts came out of their grave. That's Matt and my brother and I will talk about that on our podcast, which deals with weird, weird, freaky things. It was not good, right? And yet God, God's like, no, I'm not done writing the story though. The story's not finished. And when the story's finished and you look back, no, that was the moment of victory. And that's when he made a spectacle of the enemy and he destroyed the works of the devil. And so I don't know where you are, folks, when you're listening to this, but if you have a story that's in place right now or and you think this story didn't end well, God might not be done writing it yet. You might have a story of your past that God isn't finished with yet. Most likely that's the case. He is the ultimate author and he will write and rewrite your stories to turn them into victories. Absolutely. Even when they look like the worst possible defeat, the end of the story is going to be victory because that's who God is. So that's something about the cross that you can grab a hold of. Galatians 6.14, excuse me, God forbid that I boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Before Paul was converted, he had a lot of other things to boast about. Yes. I mean, he tells how he advanced beyond his contemporaries. So zealous was I for the things of the law. He was a competitor Mm -hmm. until the Lord won him over. Here's one from Philippians, powerful. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Colossians 1.20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Colossians mm-hmm. 1.20. Now, you notice that Jesus does a lot of things with, through the cross. The, this, the cross accomplishes a lot of different things. And it's, it's really interesting. And Paul, in particular, will say, the Son of Man came for this reason. And if you look at all the times that the New Testament says that, there's like eight different ones. It's like, well, which one is it? Did he come to seek and save the lost? Did he come to heal those who are sick? Did he come to um, destroy the works of the devil? Which one? Well, yes, all of them. And the cross accomplished all of those things. It's, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. Basically, I think. It's believable. 
<laughs> it is be- oh, well, it's believable now because I've experienced it all. But had I not, I would be like, wow, this is this is pretty crazy. I, I at this point, to be perfectly honest, I think I'm with Paul, who said it's look, it's all about the cross. It is all about the cross the death and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, I don't know that there's anything that we need in life that can't be found there. I don't know that there's anything we need in God that we, it can't be found there. And I think that's really significant. It is. It's, it is. If we don't really understand what the atonement is and what it's for and what it means to us, if that's if that is everything and all we need, then we need to get it. <laughs> like we need to understand it. So I'm glad we're doing a podcast, several of them on the cross. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Colossians 2, 13 and 14. This is just before that powerful verse of disarming the powers of darkness. And you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Mm-hmm. And so that goes into the the ransom mm-hmm. idea that the mm-hmm. cross was about paying a ransom that was owed because of the debt of our sin. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's yet another reason why the cross took place. Here's one. All those were from Paul. This is from the writer of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising or disregarding the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hmm. So that again talks about the shame of the cross, but it says he disregarded it. He didn't dwell on that. He didn't let that shame, the pain and everything discourage him because he had too much joy looking forward to what the cross was going to mean after. Yes. And there is that fueled by the future outlook that he didn't enjoy the cross. In fact, he wondered if there might be another way, Mm -hmm. even the night before. He said, if there could be another way. He was sweating drops of blood. That's he how was much very it, serious about that. Yeah, it, 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 the pressure of it. He did not want to go through what he went through. It was terrible to think about that. What, especially, I believe, the, the idea of a separation from his father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was the emotional pain. Physical pain was going to be a, very difficult. He knew that. But it was the emotional pain because he had, like this verse talks about, the punishment of all of our debt, all sin, and not just the people who were living then, all the people who had lived before, all the people who would live after, which includes us, because God is timey-wimey like that. And so he said, hey, here's all of that sin and the punishment and wrath their love. And, and sin separates from God under the old covenant because he's holy, we're not. So sin separates us from God. So in that moment, Jesus was separated from God, which I guarantee you, you don't understand what that means. I don't understand what that means. None of us do. But he said it. He said it. God, why have you you forsaken me? My God. And he was serious because he he said that because the father had forsaken him. The father had turned his back on the son. He had to because he is holy and sin is not. And so God, the son, the inseparable from the father and spirit was somehow separated. It's impossible, but it did happen. And God, who had been one being, Father, Son, and Spirit, for eternity past, was now for the first time ever not, was separated. And we can't possibly imagine the pain of that. Many of us have lost parents, siblings, spouses, children, people with whom we are very, very close. And that is, I think, a reflection of what Jesus felt in that moment, but to an absolute, to a literally infinite degree. 
Mm-hmm. And that thinking about that was so horrifying that he sweat drops of blood. We can only thank him. Mm-hmm. We can only praise him for all eternity for for what he has done. Let's stop here and continue next week with the same subject of the cross. There's much to talk about. There is. Good. We'll see you next week. That is it for this episode of Things Christians Want to Know. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to questions at tcwkcast.com. We publish every Thursday, so tell your friends and please rate us on iTunes. That's really helpful for us. Additional information, including links to Nate's blog, Paul's blog, etc., can be found on tcwkcast.com. God bless.